Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Rami Youssef is the son of Egyptian immigrants growing up in New York and New Jersey who jumped into sketch comedy as a teenager. It paid off for him initially with a role on the Nick at Night sitcom See Dad Run. Youssef took what he learned there, as well as his work on shows such as Mr. Robot, and friendships with the likes of True TV's Friends of the People and NBC's The Carmichael Show, and applied it to his own show, Rami, which premiered on Hulu in 2019. Youssef won the Golden Globe in 2020 for Best Actor in a Comedy Series for portraying a young Muslim in New Jersey, trying and often failing to do the right thing. As Rami returned to Hulu for Season 2 in 2020, Rami and I spoke over Zoom about celebrating Ramadan and quarantine during the COVID-19 pandemic, and how he and we might wonder how to do the right thing in real life, even when we're unsure what the right thing might be. So let's get to it. So yeah, this is kind of weird, but um, yeah, last things first, how was your Ramadan in 2020? It's a great question. Uh, Ramadan was obviously really different than it's ever been. So much of it for me is the community part. You know, it's you fast all day and then you go to the mosque pretty late at night. I feel like that's like a part of it that isn't always talked about, but yeah, we're fat, we're fast all day. And then like, I'll go to the mosque at like 10 PM and I'm there until after midnight, just, you know, praying, meeting, like meeting with people, socializing, it, it really has that feeling. Um, and so in, in weird way, and I don't know if you've been feeling this, but like during quarantine, I sit down on my computer and then I'm like, I can't believe it's already 6 PM. The day just disappears. So right. in this weird way, the fast was easier because you're just sitting and you're not going anywhere and time is like nothing right now. Um, and I, I wasn't feeling like the pangs of the fast as much as I was kind of feeling the pangs of, yeah, not getting to be with people, but um, you know, meeting people on zoom and doing all like a lot of the ritual stuff over zoom was definitely an interesting experience. Right. I've been doing that too in my own way, having a lot of zoom meetings that would normally happen in person. And it's, yeah, you know, we've adapted, but it's it's still not the same as actually getting out of the house and going to a community center and being with people. Um, yeah. Of course, you know, as as we're saying this, there's massive gatherings happening across America. So, <laughs> so who I knows? know, I know it's it's really um, it's 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 odd to you know. Obviously, we've been trying to flatten the curve, and and then now people are also taking to the street and I really support the people who are. And, and, you know, um, I've myself went out, you know, but, um, and trying to like hold the precautions as much as I can, you know, mm. but it, um, yeah, it's definitely like a really tricky balance of hold. Well, and especially since, you know, so much of, of your show Rami on Hulu, your fictionalized version of yourself wants to do the right thing all the time, but is, is hopelessly lost <laughs> a little bit, yeah. bit helpless whenever you're trying to do the right thing. Um, and I'm sure this season resonates for people in a lot of different ways based on what we're going through right now. How do you, 
how do you cope with it in real life? You know, that idea of wanting to do the right thing, but not knowing exactly what the right thing is. I think so much of it comes from getting to make a show like this, obviously stand up. I mean, like we're talking about, I mean, that's how we met right through stand up. And so it's like talking about um, the lack of being able to be with people uh, and, and that. So I feel really stunted in a way because my favorite thing about stand up is um, and really about the work that I do with the show. I really want it to reflect the questions that I have of myself um, and then the questions that I have of society, but, but really I try to bring it back to the ones that I have of myself. And, and so much of the work for me is about hoping that I can connect with people to bring them closer to their questions, the questions that they have, because I think so many of us have these questions we have, um, but we spend a lot of our lives not even trying to figure them out, but almost trying to distance ourselves from them, trying to numb them, trying to forget that we don't have these questions because they scare us and because we, we can't imagine ever finding an answer. Uh, and, and I don't think that uh, the work provides an answer, but what I do hope it does, again, is bring people closer to their own questions. And so in a way, it's been my way of dealing with it. It's been my way of trying to do the right thing, which is, well, maybe if we can all be in this introspective place, we'll be less accusatory, we'll be less judgmental, and we'll be um, able to kind of like work together to, um, you know, be able to um, really hopefully find some answers, which, you know, I, I'll be the first to tell you that I, I don't know what they are <laughs> yeah i mean you know as, as a as a basic white guy uh you know i look around at, at my at my peer group and i see so many people struggling with you know maybe they haven't considered until now what it's like to be a black person in america and you know even though it's it's what 18 and a half years since 9 11 there's still so many people who don't want to confront what it's like to be an arab american um of course, you winning a Golden Globe helped help put that front and center. Congrats on that. Thank um, you. When, when you won the Golden Globe, was season two already wrapped, or where were you in production of season two? No, we were about at the midway point. We, um, or maybe, yeah, we, we had, I would say we were at the midway point. We had just finished shooting with Mahershala. We kind of started our shoot getting his work done and then we moved into other work. Um, so we were, uh, yeah, we were very much in production. Like that week I was working. I, I it was like, <laughs> I was up at 3.30 in the morning after the Globe with final draft open on my laptop, <laughs> like finishing a, re a rewrite. So yeah, we, we were very much in, in the thick of it. So how does, how, does, how does such an accolade impact the production when it happens midway through the season? Does it, does it, uh, does it energize you or does it, does it put more pressure on you? What was the, what was the actual impact of it? Pure energy. I, I think that I took one week off between season one and season two. Like I, I had, you know, last year was really crazy. It was like, I wrapped, um, you know, we, I wrapped the edit on my show and then four days later I, shot my stand-up special and then I shot my stand-up special on a Sunday and then the following Friday the show came out and then 
um, you know, a month later, the special came out while I started the room for season two. I, I just feel like I've been, it's just been like pure, um, just really like, you know, back to the wall and just going, going because TV's so quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it, there wasn't even time to feel more pressure from the globe. There wasn't even time to enjoy the globe, really. It was more just like, whoa, this is really cool. And you could feel the whole crew just being like, whoa, this is awesome. We're getting recognition, you know, because it felt like hours. You know, I want it for actor, but I didn't feel like that. I was like, this is a testament to, you know, this work that everyone's been doing. And so um, it was really nice. <laughs> did you feel like you had to curb your ego at all? Or or did your did some of the other comedians on set curb your ego for you? You know, I'm telling you, our show, we're not a, we're not a huge budget show. Mm-hmm. We're usually just barely making our days. The work beats you down so much that you don't even have time to think you're like, you're cool or you have, it's just like, you're so like, just, it's such a desperate dash mm-hmm. to get everything done the way that we need to that. Yeah. There's like very little real estate to like, be like, you know, feeling any sort of ego way. And, and again, like I, to me, it feels more like, it's the show and, and all the work that everyone's put into it. Um, then, then me being like, Oh, this is all because of me. Um, it's just, yeah, it's not how I process it. One of the things, you know, mentioning how you're surrounded by comedians as your, as your friend group on the show. One of the things that I didn't know until um, midway through season one was the fact that you and, and Steve way go way back. Like he wasn't yeah. an actor. He was your friend. Who's a comedian. <laughs> who's your real yeah. friend. We um, met each other in like third grade because Steve started needing a wheelchair there. And he actually came to the school that I went to because our school had ramps and his didn't. Okay. And it was this really funny thing where like he like came to our school for like a month until they built the ramps on the other school. Then he went back. But anyway, then in middle school, we were together. Like we were, we, we were in school together all the way through up to college. And so um, he did his first stand-up set um after i had started doing sketch comedy and brought him into some um some of our shows we were doing sketch comedy it was me my sketch partners uh, jonathan and kyle and and um jonathan and me uh, you know really like we're pushing steve like you got to do stand up you got to get into it you're so funny you're like the funniest dude we know <laughs> and so uh it's been really exciting to put him on the show cuz as you know it's really hard I mean, if you're able-bodied, it's hard to get into the clubs in New York. I mean, just trying to squeeze into any of these places is is really difficult. And so um, he's someone who has always been one of the funniest people I know. And there's not a lot of stages that he can actually get on. And so to be able to get him on the show uh, was something, you know, that is one of the things that I'm most excited about with with the show. How how important was it for for Steve to be a a full-fledged character on the show? It was really important, especially because I think a lot of what we build is that Rami's character feels like an outsider, even within his own community, within his own, you know, Arab Muslim community. And it felt really cool to have like another character who's also clearly an outsider. And they're kind of this odd couple that really call each other out and they're kind of bitter with each other. And they're kind of in this space where they're just, you know, um, looking at the difficulties of life and each other and um, but they're very much in it together you know it's, it's like contentious in the way that it is with family or with any love um, so it felt really exciting and, and it's funny because it's so it just traditional tv model stuff right um, a lot of times you have a white character he has like the ethnic best friend 
And we were like, well, Rami's got to have the white friend. And, and we were like, that's Steve. You know, Steve, if we're, we're going to have a white friend, it's going to be Steve. <laughs> uh, you know, as someone who watches way too much comedy, I have to say it was very refreshing when your show first came out to find a show that's populated with comedians, but none of them are in the comedy business in the world of the show. <laughs> that was like a really cognizant thing. We said, we were like, um, stand-up comedy just doesn't exist in the universe of the Rami show. Like, it's just not even an art form. There's improv, but there's no stand-up. No, <laughs> it's just not, it's not how, you know, it's just not an art form at all. We really didn't want that to be, um, you know, so much of the show to me is how do we humanize and show this group of people that haven't been painted in that light, right? And how, and, and I think the best way to do that is to make people feel like the characters you're viewing, you know, you not only connect with what they want, but you also connect with their problems. And I think that it was just a really conscious decision where we were like, if this dude's a stand-up and he has stand-up problems, we're just immediately immediately like cutting off relatability because most people are not trying to get on stage and, and and have the world listen to them, you know, but most people are trying to figure out how to make money. They are trying to figure out how to be a, a good son and be a good, you know, lover, all those things. And so, um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty immediate to us that we, we didn't want to like fall into that. Was that decision made before or after you uh, hooked up with Gerard and Chris as part of the production team? Yes. Yeah, so really the way this started was Ari Kacher, who um, I've known, I met, it's, it's, it's all through stand-up. It's really fun. <laughs> Josh Rabinowitz, um, myself, Josh Rabinowitz, Kevin Barnett, we were all, we all did an MTV pilot together. And then I did their Friends of the People show, but that they had way back. But Josh connected me with Ari Kacher when I moved to LA and and that's really when I started doing stand-up and me and Ari the, my first open mic in LA I walked around with Ari as we were waiting for like our times to get called out and we were just walking for so long and talking for so long that we ended up missing our our times to go up <laughs> um but just talking about comedy talking about life and we became really good friends he co-created Carmichael and so I think there were always kind of these backburner conversations because at the time I was on a multicam and I really enjoyed performing multicam. I liked the element of being in front of an audience and, and doing all of that while still getting to do scripted. And then it turned into, um, for me, like with them, you know, we, we had initially thought, well, what if we did an Arab family and tried to pitch a block, you know, of Carmichael and then go and do the Yusufs, you know, where, where it's almost like this like <laughs> multi-cam black of, of like families you don't know. Mm -hmm. And so we started, you know, putting together that pitch, um, me and Ari and Ari's uh, co-writer, Ryan, who, who then, you know, became mine as well. And then we pretty quickly realized the things that I wanted to talk about that were from my stand-up, that were all of that, that they felt way better in a single cam. And, um, and through all those incarnations, though, we, we never imagined him as a stand-up. We really wanted to, again, dig into more so what this guy would look like if he didn't have that, you know, if, if it was me without that, because mm -hmm. me without stand-up is me more lost. It's me more stuck. It's me without um, a form of expression. And we felt like that would give the character kind of the right kind of problems. You just reminded me, I, I had forgotten, and I don't know how many people 
my age certainly would know this, but but you were you were a child actor before all of this. Um, well, it's funny. I wasn't. It's really or a funny teen actor. Like, what? No. Well, it's fun. I just started my career. I guess kind of you know early. I started doing sketch, and I mean, my first time going to the People's Improv Theater, I was seventeen. I just mm-hmm. went to like the midnight jams. I was really into it. Um, I booked uh, this role that brought me to LA when I was 20. So um, it, it kind of just came out of like, right when I got out of high school, I was, I was in New York and I had gotten a manager and I was just auditioning. And, and so it, it happened quick, but my childhood, yeah, had no, I didn't know anyone that knew anything about a television or knew anything about, you know, like, like how to get on TV. Like I, my goals when I left high school were even, I, I got a manager and I was like, whoa, I hope I could, get a run of a sketch show at UCB. Like that was the ceiling for me. I was like, wow, that would be amazing. If I could be on the UCB performers page, like that would change my life. Like that, that's, those were my goals. Uh, and then I was really fortunate to, um, yeah, to get this job kind of early on that, that got me out to LA. Yeah. So how does being on a show with Scott Bayo compare to being on the UCB performer page? You know, it's, 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 uh, totally different, uh, totally different gradients, you know, definitely, definitely a different experience, how, which how was did, a great experience. How, how did that experience influence how you decided you wanted to do your TV show? Well, it was cool because when I moved to LA again, I didn't really know a lot of people. I knew R- I ended up meeting Ari through Josh. I knew Danny Jollis. I knew like a couple standups, but not really many people. And I was shooting a show. I had like this job and, and I was there every day. And, and so I spent a lot of time um, really like soaking it all in. I, I shadowed the writer's room of the show that I was on for like, I think almost a month and a half. I would just go in and they let me sit and they let me watch and I would go into post and I would watch them cut and I watch them do all those things. I would talk to the directors about stuff. I just had nowhere else to be. I, I, you know, I was just at Par- we, we shot the show at Paramount Pictures, which was like a dream because I was just in love with it. And I would just walk around. My trailer was there. There were nights where I would just spend the night at Paramount and I just walked, you know, they had a, um, they had a New York city escape where they like shoot oh, right. some of the multicams and I would just walk around the New York cityscape and just listen to stuff and write stuff down in a notebook. And I just, yeah, I like was pretty, um, pretty obsessively there. And so I just soaked a lot in, in of how to make stuff, not necessarily that making a multicam is like making my show, but just the almost just soaking in the reality that like I could be that close to it and that mm. it could be a reality was, was really um, th- that, that changed a lot for me. Okay. Uh, you know, you had mentioned uh, Kevin, Barnett and uh, he died a little over a year ago or actually close to a year and a half at this point. Um, Yeah. How did, how did you decide which episode to give him a shout out at the end? Um, I, you know, we were looking at all these, um, these episodes Mm -hmm. and in our fourth episode, my character goes to this estate and he runs into Mia Khalifa and who is me? <laughs> oh wow, I can't believe you don't know. Uh, you, you live such a, an innocent life. Uh, <laughs> it, it was it was this. Um, I mean, Kevin. Uh, we all know Kevin. Kevin loved porn, and if there's one defining thing, it'd be comedy and porn. Mm-hmm. But he, um, he there was this scene where 
you know, we have this, um, this shit, you know, Prince who, who um, has met all these famous people. And so we have all these paintings on the wall um, and pictures of him with people. And so one of them is a photo of him with Kevin. And the thing that really excited me is that Mia's also in that scene. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, wow, Kevin got to shoot a scene with Mia Khalifa. You know, like that was the thing that was just so exciting to me. I was like, you know, even, even past his time, he mm-hmm. got to shoot a scene with Mia Khalifa. And I felt like, um, nothing would really make him happier than that. Is it is it just lucky happenstance too that the sheik owns tigers? He's a tiger sheik. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 very um, another another tie-in, but also yeah. I mean, it's a lot of a lot of those guys really do own those cats and stuff. We did not bring any of those cats to set no. because there's a lot of um, bad you know experience and, right. and uh, you know behind all that. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Much like your uncle's jewelry store is not like uncut gems. It's <laughs> yeah. you just managed to be on the shot. pulse. <laughs> oh, it's so crazy. It's, it's sh- sh- shot on the same block. Um, um, and yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really funny. Just like a, the, that's like, yeah, cro- crossover. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I also wanted to mention you at the end of uh, multiple episodes uh, in season two, at the end, you, uh, give a shout out, special thanks to the Pillars Fund. And I uh, mm-hmm. wondered if you wanted to say a little bit more about about who they are. Yeah, that's a really good catch. Um, Pillars Fund, um, they, they're a really great organization that um, they offer consulting, but also funding for uh, various projects that fall under the Muslim umbrella. And so they're really um, about forming community and they do it through events through arts through um really like um cash of sheikh who who um who's one of the people who runs it and uh arij makadi who um consulted on a lot of our episodes and works with them they're really good about really thoughtful community support and so for me i'm in a position where i'm obviously making things that make me laugh and i want them to um really primarily fall into the comedy space but I think when looking at the landscape of what we do, because there's so little that speaks to anyone under that Muslim umbrella in a genuine way, um, it's nice to partner with a, um, an organization like that. And they watch episodes, they give some notes. It's not that they always agree with everything we're doing in the episodes, but it's really <laughs> nice to get some thoughtful feedback because the whole point of the show is to, you know, in our messy way to um, mm-hmm. open up some conversations. And so... With them, actually, um, we're doing some Q&As. We were going to do some uh, this week, but obviously with everything that's going on, we, we felt like it'd be like most respectful to not um, get into it. But um, and, and kind of there's other dialogues that are you know, really important right now. Um, right. But yeah, so it's been it's been really uh, a really cool relationship. I suppose they had some things to say about um, relationships with cousins. <laughs> it's um it's funny man it's like it the the cousin thing um is a fun it's just a fun button and so i think you know a lot of people are like man that's a stereotype why are you reinforcing it and then i'm also like yeah well, that's why it's fun because we're we're flipping it you know <laughs> is it more fun to, to play with people like that in the in the in the format of a of a, of a conventional comedy series or in stand-up Cause you also kind of play with it in your HBO special. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, stand-up just has its own thing that a show will never replicate. You just get to feel it in the room. And the other thing with stand-up is people are just looking at you and you're breathing in front of them. And it's really clear to them that you're a real person. You know, I think what happens when you make a TV show, you just stop being a real person. Like people aren't really aware that there's, you know, someone there. And, and it's funny, like people will tag me and stuff on Twitter. Or start having, and I'm like, I'm not offended by any of it, but it's just really interesting. I'm like, oh, they don't, if they knew that I was actually like, if they really recognized that I was a real person, the tone of this would be way different. Right. Um, but I think that the way comedy is received, appreciated, the way that it communicates in the form of stand-up is probably more directly thrilling and exciting because again, like it's, it's just people in a room and, and that you can't really replicate. When you scale it to TV, yeah, there's a lot more things to take into consideration and it's done differently. It's also like this feeling of like, you know, most of these ideas I thought of, you know, we, we all thought of them in the room anywhere from, I would say at this point, maybe eight months ago. And so it's just this weird thing where like you tell a joke or you think of a joke and then the laugh comes like a year later. Like it's, right. it's really weird. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a much different sensation. So then for your HBO special, you know, I remember when I wrote my review of it, there was, there was so many threads tying back to Chicago and you filmed the special in Chicago. So I have to wonder, yeah. was that intentional that you're like, well, yeah. I want to say these things to a crowd that knows what I'm talking about and has to, to process it in front of my face. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's really where it came from. It was, it was, I was doing the venue came first, you know, we were kind of like going back and forth between where we wanted to shoot it to be honest with you, my initial instinct was to just shoot it like in a black box, like, mm -hmm. like black. Like I didn't really like care Michael? about where it was. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> not just black. like a black box theater. No, not <laughs> that's, that's, that's much blacker. Um, <laughs> um, it, it was more about, yeah, trying to, I kind of, my initial first thing was like, I just want to shoot it in a place that, um, where it's just, it's just about the material. Like I didn't really, I think a lot of, you know, I, I did it with Storer and A24 who obviously are behind a lot of those um, specials that are like a little specialized, you know? And so we had like a lot of back and forth on stuff. We ultimately went for this venue um, in Chicago. And then because we were there, like for me, the most important thing about standup is it feeling alive and it just feeling like, again, like I'm in this room, with these people and so I'm in Chicago and so I was running material like three or four days before in Chicago and a lot of those jokes and a lot of those things in the special were things that I was running there that just kind of came out there and it just felt fun to do it and it made me it made me feel excited and connected to material that I'd had for years you know um and made it feel like it flowed in the way that I wanted it to and so it just felt natural where I was like I think these are jokes that you know, they're topical, but really the feeling behind them is to me will stand up. Like I really felt like these are things that like, if I hear this joke in 10 years, I'll still, cause like even, okay, I talk about Jesse, but it's not really about Jesse. It's not an attack on Jesse. It's more about the way that we all have our own lies. And then the way that we obsess about other people getting caught in their lies, because it almost feels like we get to create a separation between right. them and us and we get to feel good about ourselves. So that joke is really about kind of where 
we're at and how we all lie. And, and I'm very clear about saying it in that way. And so it just felt, um, again, it, it made it feel alive for me to be in Chicago and be able to say that. And I, like, and I don't think that's the approach that everyone takes. I think that, you know, for me, um, again, I, the worst thing would have been to like, just do this really rehearsed, like, all right, every line needs to come at the same time. And like this and that, I don't know how to perform like that. It kind of like, it, it, it's not fun for me. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted it to feel fun. And when I look back at the special, I'm like, oh yeah, I was having fun. And like, that's kind of all that matters to me. Great. So before I let you go, what I'm curious, you know, obviously season two's out, you're a golden globe winner. So season three has got to be on the horizon. Um, what, what advice would you want to give to the fictional Rami or to any kids out there who are kind of feeling like you're the fictional version of yourself? Really good question. Um, I think, you know, the thing the fictional Rami really needs to realize at the end of season two is what are his motivations? Like what's actually being driven by what he believes in and what's actually being driven by his ego. And I think a lot of the times our, our ego can kind of trick us into thinking we're doing the right thing, but it's really just the thing that we think deep down is going to make us feel less alone, feel less scared, feel like we have power, feel important. Um, and so we put my character through the ringer in the second season in a way that I think he doesn't look favorable. And uh, again, like I'm not in, <laughs> I'm not in this to make a show called Rami where I'm just like, Hey, look at this. He's a good guy. I, I actually kind of like the idea of being hard on this character. Cause that that's more interesting to me. And, and it, I think it provides more for a viewer, especially if the viewer is like pissed about it or if the viewer is uncomfortable with it. Um, it it's, it's, I think it creates a more interesting dynamic as opposed to people being like, Oh man, yeah, I feel bad for him. You know, like that, that, which is kind of, I think the tendency of, a lot of times when you're the lead of, of something or we're following a lead character. And so um, that was a very conscious decision for us so that again, it could bring up those questions. Um, mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, I think we all could benefit from really analyzing our intentions and really analyzing why we're doing what we're doing. If you were his teacher, what would you tell him? <laughs> would you I'll quit him? Therapy. Like <laughs> I tell him to go to therapy um you know and, and I think that, that that's something that I'm really excited and in getting into I think there's a um, big stigma around therapy and um again uh that um, the umbrella under the umbrella of Muslim that a lot of people fall under um there are a lot of stigmas against therapy and it's something I'm really interested in exploring in like a nuanced way. Um, and so that amongst like many other things are going to be really interesting, I think, to go through with this family. It's weird. We, we've made two seasons and I, in many ways, I feel like we're just getting started. Like there's like, and I went into this thinking it was probably like a three season show, but the more we've been able to uncover with these characters, the more I, I get excited to, uh, to keep going. So um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to do that. Well, I look forward to seeing where they go and, and uh, this was very therapeutic for me. So thanks. Oh, <laughs> I man. No, I, uh, thank you for the great question. Seriously, man. I'm really glad we you know, finally got to do it. Me too. Thanks. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave. Logo by Giggle Chick. 
please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first.